Well, the children's program brought us into a spirit and attitude of thanksgiving. We thank God for them, and we pray that as we meditate on the challenge of an attitude of gratitude, it would be not only for today and for Sunday, but it, we, would, we would have it throughout the week, and we would have it throughout the year. Now, next week, we will continue the theme of attitude of gratitude by celebrating the Lord's Supper. Um, if you're wondering why are we celebrating the Lord's Supper before Thanksgiving, I encourage you to come next week and find out. Allow me to read to you a part of a list that several housewives compiled with things they were thankful for. They are thankful for children who put away their things and clean up after, after themselves. They're such a joy, you hate to see them go home to their own parents. <laughs> they were especially thankful for teenagers because they give parents an opportunity to learn a second language. They were especially thankful for smoke alarms because they let you know when the turkey's done. As creative as this list sounds, and I encourage you to continue your own list of creative things you're thankful for, I wonder this morning, do you ever find it challenging to be thankful? Now, there's a difference between saying thank you and being thankful. It's not hard to say thank you to people, even to God. It's much more difficult to be thankful. Have you been around people who are complaining? Who are always complaining? Have you ever taken a road trip with people who complain? It is awful. All you hear about all trip long is what they are missing, what they're lacking. And when they're finished with their own list, they start talking about what you're needing, what you're lacking. And when they're finished with your list, they go to their neighbors and they talk about the society in general and they talk about the world as if they could do something about it. Journeying or being on a trip with complaining people is never, never fun. Well, today we continue our study in the book of Exodus. We are in the second section of this book. In the first section, we have learned that God is a God who saves. And in the second section of this book, we are learning about a God who accompanies his people. However, as soon as the Israelites got out of Egypt, prior to uh, even crossing the Red Sea, we are told that God went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them. And we find that statement in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. God was committed, now don't open there, we're going to open to other parts of Exodus, but God was committed to go with his people, to accompany his people. Through the pillar of cloud during the day and through the pillar of fire during the night, God led this people through their journey. Now here's one thing we have to realize about this journey. It is the first time God is accompanying his people. 
It's the first time God and his people are on a road trip together. And it's a pretty long road trip. From the Red Sea to Mount Sinai, that was about three months long. And then from Mount Sinai to Canaan, we'll find out it's about 40 years long. Long road trip. Do you ever wonder what they talked about? What they did on that road trip? Well, from, from the Red Sea all the way to the Mount Sinai, we are told they made four stops. There was also a battle, and there was a visit from Moses' father-in-law. But as we look at this journey, at the road trip that God took with his people, it is interesting to notice what the narrator is telling us about the journey. Three of the four stops are characterized by a common theme. Complaining and grumbling. What a sad way to begin the journey from Egypt to the promised land. The story, however, is not just about Israel. It's our story as well. Because we too have been redeemed from slavery to sin. And we too are traveling towards the promised land. And we have not arrived there yet. We're on that journey as well, and this morning we have a chance to learn from Israel's failure and from the God who accompanies a grumbling people. And that's the theme of this morning, the God who accompanies a grumbling people. Would you open scripture to Exodus? We'll be reading from chapter 15, verse 22, to chapter 16, verse 8. And then when we're done with that, we're moving to chapter 17, Verse 1 through 7. So Exodus chapter 15, verse 22. And this is literally the, the stops that the people of Israel made on their journey from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. Here's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur, for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where they were Twelve springs and seventy palm trees, palm trees, and they camped there near the water. The whole Israelite community set out from Elim and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai. And Sinai. On the fifteenth day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelite said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. 
There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said all the Israelites, In the evening you will know that it is the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard you grumbling against him. You, who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, you will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your, grum your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. And now move to chapter 17, verse 1. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. Moses replied, Why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and, your children, and our children and livestock die of thirst. And Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Walk on ahead of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand, take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Amen. Let's pray for this word and for our hearts. Father, we pray that you calm our hearts and allow us to hear what you have to say to each one of us. We acknowledge the authority of your word over our lives, and we trust in your spirit to impress this word on our hearts. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, the story is a rather long text that we read. It's a story of the four stops that Israel had on their journey from the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And as we will see, there, there, there are four parts to this message. Unexpected beginnings, the nature of grumbling, the danger of grumbling, and the way out of grumbling. But we start with some unexpected beginnings. Redemption from Egypt took Israel to the promised land. No. Redemption from Egypt took Israel into the desert. 
That is the first surprising fact about the story of redemption. Once Israel crossed the Red Sea, and as a matter of fact, even before crossing of the Red Sea, when they got out of Egypt, chapter 13 of the book of Exodus tells us that Israel took the desert road. Why? Because God told him so. And once they are, they're crossing the Red Sea, we find out that their journey, the itinerary of their trip, takes them through a number of deserts. The desert of Shur, the first one, then the desert of Sin, and then we find out that even Mount Sinai is in a desert, the desert of Sinai. And after Mount Sinai, we find out there's more deserts for them to go through. Here's a, a surprising thing for the story of Israel and their redemption from Egypt. The journey from Egypt took Israel into the desert. The major surprise is that Israel, once they're redeemed, once they cross through the sea, the first thing they encounter are needs, not blessings. The first thing they encounter are needs, not blessings. Only three days after the crossing of the Red Sea, we are told that the, the people encounter their first major need, drinkable water. And how do they react to this need? Look at verse 24 in chapter 15. They grumbled against Moses. Now, at first appearance, this seems very innocent. There was a legitimate need. The entire people needed drinkable water. So what do they do? They go and, and complain to Moses. Now, who would not do so if you were in their place? If you were on that journey, you and I would probably do the same. But we have to backtrack the story a little bit. We find out that just three days prior to encountering this need, Moses and the people of Israel sang one of the most beautiful songs in the Old Testament, the Song of Moses. And you find it in the first part of chapter 15. And if you were to look for the climax of that song, it is found in verse 11. It is a statement of wonder. It's a statement of praise towards God. It's a statement of declaring how great God is. And here's what verse 11 says. Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. Now they sang this right after they saw God cross the, the Israelites through the Black Sea. This is significant. They saw God's provision, they saw God's protection, and they saw God's power in control of the waters so that the Israelites could go through. What is surprising is that their first need on their journey is water. And it's only 72 hours after the crossing of the Red Sea. And what's surprising is not only their first need after crossing the Red Sea is water, but their last need prior to getting to Mount Sinai is water. And what's amazing about it, at, at Mara, there's, there's water, but it's undrinkable. At Rephidim, there's no water. The question is, can this God who just parted the Red Sea 72 hours ago, can he now provide water? Is he really able to do wonders as they sang three days earlier? 
apparently, from their reaction, they were not convinced. The complaints of Israel at Marah become a red flag. Do these people really trust their God? Now, deserts are never fun. Have you been in one? There's nothing in them. Nothing to make you excited about. They're boring. They're painful. They're challenging. And they may even lead us to desperation. Yet, it is only in the desert that we find out how strongly Israel trusted in their God. The song they just sang three days earlier proved to have no effect on them now that they encounter a need. Where is the God they claim to be able to do wonders? Apparently, He was only useful in their songs. Now, that's why God decides that He's going to test Israel. Look at verse 25. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. Now notice the test, what the test entails, verse 26. If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now this is given prior to the, to the giving of the law. This is given prior to the people of Israel knowing about all the laws God will have for, the, for his people. Yet, the key is if you listen carefully. Do you remember when we first started the series, what was the first question Pharaoh asked Moses? It is the most important question in the whole book of Exodus. In chapter 5, verse 2, Pharaoh asked Moses, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? It is the question that drives the entire story of Exodus. And now we see God giving this test to his people to see if his people got the lesson from when God gave the lesson to Pharaoh. And remember how hard of a lesson it was for the Egyptians? And the Israelites were just bystanders. They were, they were there to watch what God would do against Egypt. And now God says, I am going to give you a test to see if you're going to listen to me. What an unusual way. What an unusual way to respond to complaints. Now, how many times do we want God to be with us, to protect us, but we're not as quick to follow His lead and His commands? We think that we know what we ought to do, and we just ask God to bless our work. God, we, we have our path. Just come alongside and bless us. And God says, no, 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 no. If I'm accompanying you, I'm leading you. If you want me to be a God who accompanies you, I am going to be in control. And the test I'm going to give you is, do you trust my directions? How often we are eager and we pray for God to be with us, but we're not as eager to follow his guide to follow his lead. Now this is an unusual way to respond to complaining. God responds to Israel's complaint 
by giving them a test. Why? Why would you respond to complaining, to grumbling with a test? Because a complaining heart and a grumbling attitude might be an indication of a lack of trust in God. A lack of being willing to follow Him. However, we find out that this test is not given right away. If we look at the story, we're told that God heals the waters of Mara, and He presents Himself as the God who heals you. What a beautiful way. After He had just healed these bitter waters, God presents Himself to Israel as the God who heals you. And then after they, they leave from Mara, their next stop is Elim. Now, it's a very short stop. We're not told very much about the stop, Elim. But we're told there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees. Now, can you imagine that in a desert? 12 strings of water and 70 palm trees? You're talking about abundance of water abundance of shade in a desert to give them rest. This is what, the God, what God does with His people as He accompanies them. Even though they, crum they crumble against Him, even though they complain against God, He provides for them. He's gracious. But Elim tells us that even though there's abundant provisions, and even though the abundant provisions might calm the grumbling of our hearts, they might make us happy. Abundant provisions do not heal us of a grumbling heart. How do we know? Because when the Israelites leave Elim and they arrive to their next desert spot, the desert of sin, we're told that the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron again. And this is where we find out the real nature of grumbling. The real nature, look at verse 3. What do they do? How do they grumble? The Israelites said to them, and, and pay attention carefully, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. Hmm. Did they really? Is that what they did in Egypt? Is that what the Lord heard when he came to Moses and said, I have heard the desperation of my people? Interesting. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you, you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Notice what grumbling does to us. It distorts our sense of reality. It makes us distort the facts. It adds some emotion to it. Did you notice that dramatization? We're dying here. And it also leads us to accuse others of bad intentions. That's what Israelites did. That's what grumbling does. It distorts your sense of reality. Look at how they accuse Moses. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Is that really what he planned to do? Was that why God sent Moses? But despite this blow into Moses' leadership, realize, dear friends, that God, the Lord, wants to readjust their view of reality. 
Here's what the Lord does. He provides for them bread and meat. And the intent of providing bread and meat is first and foremost, so they would see, look at verse 6 and 7, so they would see that it was the Lord who did all this for them. Look at verse 6 and 7. In the evening, you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. Not Moses. It was the Lord. And in the morning, you will see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, and by the way, it's almost like Moses is repeating this, this lesson for them again. You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You're not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Just like at Marah and Elim, God would provide now once again. God is gracious, and Moses called the Israelites to come before the Lord. They needed to be reminded of who the Lord was and it, that he was the one who, who did all this for them. He was in charge of the journey. However, this provision in the desert of sin also comes with two tests. And it is here that God now tests his people. Remember, at Marah, God said, I will test you. But the test didn't come, not right then. It's like as a teacher, he's giving you a warning. There's a test coming, prepare. He's not taking you by surprise with the tests. That's what God does here as well. And finally, now at, at, at the desert of sin, the test is coming. And the test has two parts. Verse 4 of chapter 16. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. Now, once the provisions were made, it became apparent that some of the Israelites did not obey the Lord, even in the, in the midst of the miraculous provision. Look at, at how, what the text says. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning. And then the second part of the test comes in verse 23. He said to them, Moses said to them, This is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. Now this was the only time God asked the people to keep food until the next day because it was the Sabbath. And we're told in verse 27, Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Do you want to find out the grade they got for this test? Look at verse 28. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long do you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Now here's what's sad about this test. It was such an easy test. It was so easy. Don't gather more than you need for the second day. And some of them failed. And then the second question is, I'm sorry, don't gather for the second day and some of them kept it for the second day. And the second part of the, the test was, don't gather for the second day because I will provide. And they kept out, kept going, looking for it. Such an easy test. It was not hard. It was not sacrificial. It was an easy test. But they failed. 
And this test tells us something about the nature of grumbling. Not only it distorts, distorts the facts, not only it over-dramatizes the conclusions, not only it accuses others of bad motivations, but the worst part about grumbling is that it is rooted in disobedience. The tests of grumbling are tests of obedience for Israel. This means that the remedy for their complaining, for a complaining spirit, is to come before the Lord and examine our obedience to Him. Do we trust Him enough to follow Him? That's the real nature of grumbling. It points to the root of our disobedience. But the danger of grumbling, there's a danger in grumbling. Even though the Lord uh, provided for them, not only at Mara, not only at Elim, not only at the desert of sin, the people now, after they have been fed with manna, after they have been fed with meat, they go on their fourth stop. The fourth stop is at Refidim. Now at Refidim, they lack water altogether. Well, this is different than Mara, yet their reaction is the same. They quarreled with Moses. Look at chapter 17, verse 2. And notice again the, the emotions they bring into it. Verse 2. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? And interesting, Moses replies that now the Israelites are testing the Lord. Here's how the Israelites tested the Lord. Look at verse 7. Because they tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? Wow. All these needs are not now turned as reasons to question God's presence among His people. My friend, when we encounter needs in our lives, when those needs get severe and worse and worse and worse, it is easy for us to question God's presence with us. Does God really care for me? Is He with me? Is He really guiding me? If God was with me, it wouldn't go this way. I wouldn't be stuck in this desert. But remember how this section started? The journey of redemption took Israel into the desert. And that journey is our, our journey as well. God never promised to us to take us only to, to pastures with green grass. The journey of faith is a journey through deserts. It's a journey through needs. But here's a major principle for us. The presence of needs does not mean the absence of God. The presence of needs does not mean the absence of God. And this is where Israel's complaining became very dangerous. Remember the theme of the second section of the book of Exodus? The God who accompanies His people. From chapter 13, from the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, and then all the way through the provisions of water at Mara, through the provisions of water at Elim, through the provisions of food, of manna and meat at the desert of sin. All of those things were so that the people would know that the Lord brought them out of Egypt, that the Lord was with them. And at the end of, of, of their journey, when they encounter this final need, their big question is, is the Lord among us or not? 
How sad. What an insult for the God who covenanted, for the God who made a commitment to be with them. This is like a huge insult to God. Alec Motier, one of the commentators of the Old Testament, said the following about testing God. Testing God involves putting Him on probation. Withholding trust, pending evidence. For the Israelites, it meant doubting whether he would have had provided sufficient in the past, whether what he had provided in the past was still sufficient for the present. Now that things have taken a different turn. There is an element of change to God, a challenge to God, demanding that he proves his worth all over again. If against all probabilities he gets us out of this mess, then we will consider believing. But in the meantime, we will suspend both faith and obedience. For these reasons, testing God is deeply, deeply sinful. Friends, have you ever been tempted to test God? To say, when you are in a need, I'm not sure if God is really with me. I'm not sure if I can trust this God. I'm not sure if I want to obey this God. And this is a real danger of testing God. Not only that we question His presence, but that we suspend our trust and obedience in Him until He proves it worthy. Despite Israel's grumbling, God was gracious. You know why? You know how we know that? Because after the, this experience at Rephidim, after their grumbling, we find out that they experience a battle against the Amalekites. It's the only battle in the whole book of Exodus. And God gives them victory. Wow, if I had been in the place of God in that moment, I'd have told Israel, I'm going to teach you a hard lesson. But not God. God is gracious. He gave the Israelites such a victory and a promise. And here's what God promises in chapter 17, verse 14. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. That's the gracious grace of God. Friends, the deserts in our lives are places where our faith is tested. When we encounter needs in our lives, when we are in places where we are in places where our faith is tested, it's very easy for us to fall in a complaining mood. It's very easy for us to focus only on the things that we're lacking, only on the things that are not right. But be careful that in doing so, you're not undermining your trust in God. Be careful that such a grumbling attitude is not a sign of your lack of trust in God. Now, how do we get out of this mess? How do we get out of a complaining attitude? And if you find yourself in one, what do you do to fix it? I got a bad news for you and I got a good news for you. Here's the bad news. Israel was not able to get out of this complaining mood. Even after they encountered God at Mount Sinai, even after the tabernacle was built, if you read the rest of the scripture, of the story of Israel, we find out that at once they left Mount Sinai, they kept complaining and grumbling against God. 
so much so that they never made it to the promised land. That first generation of Israelites never made it to the promised land. Because friends, and if you want to look more onto this, the book of Numbers is known as the book of grumbling, the book of complaining. The, the generation of Israelites did not make it to the promised land because they kept testing the Lord with their grumbling. So there's a sense in which the bad news is you might never get out of it. However, let me give you the good news. The good news is that many, many years later, Christ came on the scene of history. And he reenacted the story of Israel. After he went through the waters of baptism, what was his first stop? The desert. And it was the Spirit who led Christ through that desert for 40 days. It was, and it was at the end of those days, not 72 hours after being in the desert, it was at the end of that journey that we find out that the devil himself came to test Jesus. Three tests. And all three times, Jesus refuses to test God. And how does Jesus respond to the temptation of the devil? By using the word of the Lord. Verbatim. He is the one who came for us. He's the one who reenacted the story of the first generation of Israel because the first generation did not make it. You and I, in our own power, we cannot get rid of our complaining attitude. And unless you realize that complaint and grumbling is a matter of the heart, you're not going to get to the real issue of the problem. But there is hope. The hope is that Christ himself walked that path for us. And it is only as we look to him who walked through the desert and who passed the temptation and who trusted in, Jesus, in the word of God, it is only as we look to him who was obedient, obedient even unto death, that he is the author and perfecter of our faith. It is only as we look to him that he can strengthen us, that he can give us that kind of trust that enables us to trust in God, to follow Him, to obey Him. My dear friends, the only way we can escape a complaining attitude is by looking to Christ, by trusting in His obedience. And by trusting in His obedience, that attitude, that power, that grace is granted to us. My dear friend, if, you, if you're here and have never trusted Christ with your life, encourage you to do so today. You can do so by repenting of your sins and putting your trust in Christ for your salvation. He's the only one who can fix our hearts of our grumbling attitudes. And if you've never done that, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service. But if you're here today, if you're a Christian, if you have trusted in Christ with your life and you still find in your life, in your daily walk with Christ, an attitude of complaining, If you find yourself trapped in a complaining mood, I encourage you, look to Christ in a fresh way. I don't have any other recipe for you and for me, but look to Christ because he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Remember that Christ redeemed us from slavery to death. Remember that Christ redeemed us from our enslavement 
And redemption ought to create in us a sense of deep gratitude to God. In light of the redemption we experienced because of Christ, all our needs ought to pale in importance. And yet, it was at this very point that Israelites utterly failed. Remember what they said? They would rather have died in Egypt as slaves than die in the desert as free. They would rather have been back in Egypt as slaves. And friends, that's why I encourage you, if you are a Christ follower and you still find yourself trapped in a complaining attitude, in a complaining mood, Ponder upon Jesus Christ and His redemption. If His redemption doesn't make a major change in the way you look at life, at your needs, at your circumstances, something is not right. Look at Christ. Look at His redemption. If you're ever tempted to complain about your needs, look at Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the lesson that you have given us about the story of Israel. Lord, we recognize that the story of Israel is our story as well. We keep falling into the traps of complaint. We keep focusing on our needs and our lacks rather than focus on what you have already provided for us. Lord, we do not want to be like the Israelites who, who sang of your wonders who praised your majesty, but when they encountered their needs, they were not able to trust in you. Father, I pray that as we, as we sing, as we hear your word, as we read your word, as we pray your word, that your spirit would impress upon us that you are truly a God who does wonders. And when we experience needs, that we would trust in you. Father, I pray that you would heal us of any mood of complaint, of any grumbling and that we would look to Jesus for all our needs. Dear friends, let's spend a few moments in prayer. And you know, what are the areas of your life today that you find complaint and grumbling? Ask the Lord to heal you. Ask the Lord to enable you to look upon Jesus and trust in Him.